you can be patient with this process. These are very gentle, fragile parts of you that need time to open up to you and to receive that healing from you. And sometimes the healing is just acknowledgement. The universe isn't implanting you with desires that can't be fulfilled. From To Be Magnetic, this is the Expanded Podcast with your host, Lacey Phillips. As the leading destination for neural manifestation, we dispel the woo-woo in order to help you create real, tangible results based on neuroplasticity, psychology, epigenetics, and energetics. Our goal is to normalize the practice of manifestation and empower you to get into the driver's seat of your life in order to manifest the experiences, relationships, and things that most align with your authenticity. Part of our manifestation process entails expanding past your limiting subconscious beliefs. Therefore, by tuning into this podcast with interviews from experts, thought leaders, spiritual teachers, scientists, and those with neural manifestation success stories, you're starting the process of expanding your subconscious in order to see to believe that anything you desire is possible. And by pressing play, the process begins. Welcome back everyone to another episode of Expanded. Jessica here. I hope you guys are having a wonderful week. We have an incredible process episode for you today. And, you know, as some of you may know, we are in the midst of a Mercury retrograde. I believe we also have six other planets in retrograde. And the essence that I get behind the retrograde is it's really a time to go inward, not to force things, let them flow, and to kind of examine what's coming up. Oftentimes there can be a lot of tests or opportunities to potentially integrate some higher self-worth behavior and kind of test and and learn in different spaces you you may want to still continue to grow and unblock. Like many Mercury retrogrades, I was tested with my technology and I manifested a new podcast mic, the one I'm talking on now. I am so excited to have it and be using it. It's the one I wanted for such a long time. But when I recorded this episode that you're going to hear today with process guest Isabella, something happened with the connection. And for some reason, it never recorded on the mic. It only recorded on my headphones that were like scratching and like all over the place. Backup audio didn't record. And so it's kind of like this unideal audio quality. It's great. You guys won't even notice the difference. My like ear is just so hypersensitive to sounds. But I share this because my old perfectionist self would have 100% had Kevin, our editor, export my audio track, and I would have re-recorded every single word I said on the other mic just so it was high quality. Yes, you could say that is, you know, striving for excellence, but I know my programming and that was striving for perfectionism. And so I have passed my test. I did not re-record the audio. I am accepting what is and knowing that the message of the audio is still going to reach the right people. But yeah, that's just one way I'm navigating this Mercury retrograde season that is filled with tests and opportunities. 
But one beautiful thing that has come out of this Mercury retrograde season as well is we had a successful magnetic meetup event last week in Los Angeles where we got to meet over a hundred of you and do a really cool deep exercise all around resentment. For anyone asking, because I know that's going to be the next question, yes, we are releasing a digital version of this event. It'll be with myself, Janelle, TBM coaches, Amanda Blair, Heather Whitaker, Salwa Chobay, and they're all going to do their own little teachings on it. You'll get the DI and some new journal prompts that will be going on sale soon. So stay tuned for that. But I really want to thank everyone who came to the event and for all of the sponsors. Connecting in person is just the best feeling ever. It really grounds this practice. Seeing how it's affected and impacts so many people, it just warms my heart, gets me going in that sort of generator energy and excited to bring more and more to you guys to expand along this journey. And I want to give a special shout out to our sponsors. So first off, the Peninsula Beverly Hills for hosting us. It was an incredible day. We had indoor space, outdoor space. We had our own little section in the hotel. It was fantastic. We had our own little audio guy. I mean, it just was such a cool event. And we were able to test out some of their incredible items from their plant-based menu from their Belvedere restaurant from a five-star Michelin chef. The items were so good. I highly recommend checking out the restaurant there. The Peninsula's brand-wide initiative is aiming to really elevate the physical, mental, and nutritional well-being of all of the guests. And they even offered a little spa discount for all of the people who attended. The tomato tartare was unreal. If you're in the Beverly Hills area, highly recommend checking out the space and the restaurants they have to offer. And then I'd love to thank one of our product sponsors, Alice. Alice is a woman-owned operated company dedicated to enhancing your life and sustainability. They do a lot of high quality limited edition creations with a bit of biohacking. So what I love about them is that all of their textiles are recycled. So whether you're getting socks or a cell phone case or a robe, it's a one of a kind unique piece that they were able to put together. And one also cool thing that they have is in some of their clothing items, whether it's the robe or their socks, they have organic minerals that create an infrared impact. So when you think of infrared, you think of like the infrared saunas and the panels and electricity and all that thing. But you can also create an infrared effect by the conduction of body heat with certain minerals. And so in the socks, they have them embedded and some of the robes, they have them embedded and it keeps, you know, that conductive heat with the body, but then also it really creates that real grounding sensation. So having it on your socks, I pretty much have not taken these socks off since the event because every time I'm like, oh, I need some grounding, I'll pop them in. If you're curious of any of the products they have, they have a bunch of lifestyle things as well. You can use code TBM25 for 25% off. And of course, I have to thank Bond Charge. They also gifted their harmonizing sticker. It's a tiny little sticker that you can put on your cell phone, computer, Wi-Fi router, microwave, anything that might be exuding some harmful EMFs or highly charged positive ions, which cause kind of disruption in our homeostasis. 
and it emits enriched negative ions to help balance it. So I have one on the back of my phone. So whenever I'm talking on my phone or using anything that has a lot of EMFs with it, it really helps balance it out. And so you're not having so many of those harmful effects from the EMF radiation. And for any Bond Charge products, you can use the code MAGNETIC, all caps, M-A-G-N-E-T-I-C, for 15% off. Thank you, Bond Charge. Thank you, Ellas, and thank you, Peninsula. Also, big thank you to Bite, who donated some toothpaste bits, Monfifo, who did some wellness shots, Sun and Swell with some incredible snacks, And make sure to stay tuned for our texting service. It's only available in the US, Canada, and Puerto Rico at this time, hopefully growing soon. But if you text the number 1-213-423-5226, you can sign up for our text notifications. And that way, that is the first spot that we usually drop any updates on what events we have coming up. I'm so excited for today's episode. We have on Isabella. Isabella is a previous process guest that we had on last year. And it's so funny because whenever we have a process guest, I feel like I manifest them. I'm kind of looking at, you know, what are you guys writing in the community group? What's happening and supported questions? What DMs am I getting from you guys? And if there tends to be a theme, I'm always kind of manifesting a process guest who can speak to those themes and help expand you guys. And one theme that's coming up a lot right now is relationships. So Isabella, who was our guest from last year, who at the time manifested from being in debt to making five-figure months, moving to her dream city in Mexico, getting her aligned career and working through tons of trauma and creating a better relationship with her family. She has gone on to not only get to the place where she was actually able to say, okay, I think I actually do want to manifest a partner and this is what it would look like. And I'm ready to go into unblock love, but she manifested her dream partner in the most kismet way ever, including the fact that on her first date, they were on a rooftop and they set off fireworks and they were dancing under the fireworks and had a most amazing first kiss. It is such a beautiful story and even more so than the process of her preparing to manifest this person and the tests that came up around that, especially saying no and closing doors to past exes and chapters and versions of herself. It's really about cultivating self-love. So anyone that's manifesting anything out there, even if it's not relationship, she gives you such actionable insights on how to create that validation, love, strength, power within yourself. She has some incredible tips that we have never shared before on how to make journaling your own and also how to make expansion your own and make the expansion run even deeper. There's so much in here, so much wisdom. I know you guys are gonna love it. And just wanted to mention, trigger warning to anyone who might've experienced or is experiencing dealing with an eating disorder. Isabella talks about her experience moving through that specifically with orthorexia as well. So if that feels not in alignment to listen to right now, we have the time code in the show notes and you can just skip over that section. I know you guys are going to love this one. There are so many nuggets of wisdom and it's kind of one you can come back to at different seasons in your life, especially during all of these retrogrades. It's such a good time to go in and she has that empowering essence to kind of give you hope and and guide you through this season. 
And one fun thing that we're going to start doing with some of the process episodes is for anyone who's in our community group, which is free to all Pathway members, if you're in the Pathway and you're not in the community group, you can sign up with the link in the show notes. But we're going to have a thread started on the release day. So today, Friday, or whenever you're listening to it, it's probably already live, where you can go in and write Isabella a question in the thread, the process after hours, essentially, where you can pose any of your questions for Isabella in the comments, and then she'll pick a few and she'll answer them in there for you. So if you've got anything about what you heard today from her, feel free to drop her a question and she will try to get to as many as she can over the next week. I hope you guys enjoy. Here's the episode. We have back on Isabella. Welcome. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm so excited to dive in. It's so funny because I've, you know, kept up and seen your Instagram and your posts and everything since. And I feel like you're always manifesting. There's always something that comes through. Like at first, I think it was different little decor things in your apartment and then the kittens and then more and more and more. And it keeps getting to new levels. And it's just so cool to see not only you have manifested so much from the first time that we talked, that's why you were on the process, but then for that to continue to grow and evolve and up-level even more over time is just the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And I think part of that is because once I got through some pretty heavy rounds of trauma, the manifestation and because I, I, you know, I wasn't in scarcity anymore. I could actually like pay my bills and stuff. The manifestation just became fun and playful. And it was more about like, how can I dance with the universe? How can we play together? I don't know how much time I have here. So how can we make this the most fun lifetime as I can have? I love that. Okay. So what are, just to set the stage of what we're going to cover in this update since everything, what are the biggest manifestations that has come through since we last recorded your process? Yeah. So I would say I got my promotion to my dream job, the exact job title that had been on my manifestation list since 2019. I manifested my partner, which was huge for so many reasons. And you know, I just think a sense of like waking up every day and saying, oh my God, I can't believe this is my life. I'm so grateful. I wake up every day and say to the universe, oh my God, I can't believe this is real. You know, moving to Mexico had been a dream of mine since 2019 and for that to be a reality. And I got my temporary residence permit actually to stay here and I'm on a path of citizenship. So yeah, I mean, I would say those are like the really, the things that just make my heart so happy right now. Okay. And so let's remind everyone, what is your sun, moon, and rising? (laughs) So I am a Scorpio sun. I am a Sagittarius rising and I am an Aquarius moon. And I have, I think, five major placements in Scorpio. So very Plutonian energy. How do you feel like your astrology kind of impacts or helps guide you in, I don't know. I I also kind of like to see how the astrology impacts authentic code. Do you notice a similarity between them at all? 
So I think my authentic code is actually most impacted by my Venus. My Venus is in Libra and I am a Scorpio Libra cusp. My mother did not want to have a Libra baby. So she held me in allegedly for two weeks. I was two weeks late. And if I had been born five hours earlier, I would have been a Libra. I also have like very strong Libra tendencies. So my authentic code is very Venusian. Like one of my four authentic codes is Venus, which just includes all things of the goddess Venus, you know, like pleasure, hedonism, delicious food, beauty, art, culture, sexuality. And then as far as my manifestation process, I think I have the perfect combination. You have the Scorpio sun. So I'm definitely willing to like go into trauma, go into those dark places, go into past lives, which I did a lot. This, I guess you could say manifestation round and the Sagittarius. That's all about that bravery. I see it almost as like the the knight in shining armor that's ready to just like run through that battlefield. And also the centaur is very like mystical, very intellectual. And then the kind of cold Aquarian analytical side that comes in with my moon, I feel like gives me this ability to analyze the things I've been through, analyze my own manifestation pattern, which I did a lot in the past year, so much. And that for me makes it so I can make this process my own because, okay, I learned the process, I study it, I got it. And then I study my own patterning and I can combine those two things together and create a process that just like flows really well with my own patterning. Okay. And one of the ways that you did that was by tweaking how you journaled. So talk a little bit about that. So I am just like a very disorganized person, like generally. So I always had like 15 different notebooks that I was working on and I would like lose my list all the time. Like no joke. I would be like, wait, where did I put my list? I don't even know what I'm manifesting right now. <laughs> and I, I think there's a lot to be said for journaling by hand. And I still do that, especially when I'm, I'm doing manifestation work with my partner, but I needed to be more organized and I have a learning disability. My handwriting is so illegible. It's been described as like, it looks like someone wrote it with their foot. And I, so I had to like get more organized and I made this document on my computer, a Google doc, and I just broke it down. Triggers, tests, pings, manifestations, manifestation list, and expander list. And anytime I was feeling triggered, I would either free write or free type everything into this document it just totally stream of consciousness. I mean, the trigger section you can imagine is like pages and pages and pages long. And it would get so random and bizarre, like going back to such weird childhood memories. And then under the trigger, I would write whichever DI that I did that day following that trigger, anything that I saw in the DI, anything that came through. And then if I had that trigger in the future, say like, okay, I was feeling fat today. I would just search in the document feeling fat. And I would go back to, okay, I was feeling this trigger like three weeks ago. This is what happened. This is what triggered me, blah, blah, blah. This is what I did. And then I could just like keep building on that trigger and keep it really organized and keep track of which DIs I was doing, of course, keep track of pings and what came from those pings. And then I think maybe most importantly, I kept such detailed expander lists because I had a list of expanders for every single shadow that I wrote down. I forgot to mention, I also had a shadow section. So I had one shadow word that was like super intense women. And then I just had tons of Instagrams of women who come across as very intense. And then I had expanders of women who are a little curvier who met their partner. And I had like five to 10 Instagram accounts or YouTube channels 
related to that particular shadow trigger and expander. Wow. My Capricorn brain, the fact that you could search back through specific themes, I'm like, whoa, this is amazing. (laughs) You're kind of inspiring me in this moment of that because I do think, especially when you're starting off, understanding your patterning is such a key piece to knowing what is setting you off, why it's setting you off, and how. Like, How does this all relate? How does this all boil down to your manifestation? Once you can understand that, it becomes very easy to know, oh, that's the test. This is how I navigate the trigger. You know, you can kind of see the roadmap ahead. But when it feels like all this random stuff, you're kind of like, okay, I'm like piece by piece. But when you can zoom out and look at it all, you're like, oh, I see how they all relate. And I think your process of doing it on the computer, and although we always recommend, you know, journaling in by hand because you can unlock more in the subconscious and processing the subconscious. If that works for you to help unlock your patterning, do it. That sounds like such a cool technique. And really, t- it's like creating a essentially a digital spreadsheet of the journal in one shape and way. It also helped a lot with my trust muscle because I could go back and say, okay, there was this really tough test. I passed it. Four days later, X happened. I think when like it's happening all at once, it gets too jumbled in your mind and you can't see the timeline so clearly. But this really helps to enforce the trust. And I love just being able to look back like, okay, I'm having a similar trigger. Let me just search that one word and boom, it's like pulled up again. Not to go off on a tangent right now, but the trigger of feeling fat, how do you navigate that? It's been one of my biggest triggers for so long. And I think it was kind of a keystone to being able to manifest my partner. And especially for me, because I developed hypothyroidism when I, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I had a few bouts of like different kinds of poisoning that I was exposed to. And I gained 60 pounds. And I had always been someone who struggled with disordered eating to begin with. I grew up with a narcissist mother, but all of a sudden, you know, I went from like size two to size 12, 14. I think that was a gift because it forced me to love my body no matter what. Whereas before my love for my body was very conditional. I will give you love if you do X, if you look X way. And it was easy for me to force my body to do things. And I don't think I ever healed my disordered eating. I think I transferred it into orthorexia and I was just, you know, like a super neurotic, healthy type food person. Can you just describe that for anyone at home who's like, what is that? Yes. So orthorexia is a form of disordered eating where it's basically an eating disorder hidden underneath a facade of being extremely healthy. And the difference between orthorexia and just being healthy is that it's a compulsion. It's an obsession. It haunts you. You dream about it. You know, maybe someone who's who's eating very healthy will be like, okay, but I'm on vacation and like we're stuck at the airport, so let me just eat these French fries. But someone who's experiencing orthorexia will have, you know, like a panic attack by the idea of having to eat a French fry. It's combined with anxiety, uh, severe anxiety around food, and it also develops very frequently from people who have chronic illness because there's this narrative that chronic illness has to be healed through a certain diet. And there's like 837, you know, different diets you can potentially try to heal. And they're all kind of like mutually exclusive. They contradict each other. So you get this feeling of overwhelm and obsession about what you're eating, that it spirals into really unhealthy behavior. I've seen it when people get put on a protocol, like if they're on a protocol for overgrowth of candida, or they're on a Mm -hmm. protocol for a parasite, and they have a very, very limited 
list of things they can eat. And maybe people don't realize, but like when you're on a protocol, it's only supposed to be for a short period of time. You're not supposed to stay on that long term. And I think sometimes people are like, this is the only way I can eat. I can't eat these things. I can't have this in my diet. And I like how you're saying it's not just not wanting to have something in your diet because you don't feel good after eating it. It's that anxiety over it. It's that compulsion over it. It's the like, I don't know what I'm going to do if that I have to eat that item that has that, you know, canola oil in it, which none of us want to eat, but it's that other level of mental duress that you're under for having it. Absolutely. And it's a lot of times with these protocols, I was on a SIBO protocol. So I, I totally understand there's like a community that forms around it. You follow all these other people who are also on it and like you join online communities about it. And then you conflate it with like a moral obligation. Like, oh, if I eat, especially, you know, like something that's very unhealthy or something that's bad for the environment, I failed morally. And then you've like let down your whole community that you're a part of now. I I can imagine it's really challenging. It's challenging boundary work as well. Yes. Okay. So that comes up. You have this history of it. You're working through it. You are tapping into this Venus goddess energy that is beautiful and gorgeous and amazing to any shape, size, form, etc. How do you comfort yourself, soothe yourself when things flare up or a moment flares up or triggers you or whatever, even though you have done so much work? You know, we're always that work in progress. Absolutely. It is a constant work in progress because we're getting the counter programming from society. So I think one really great idea, a great concept that was brought to my attention is body neutrality. So we have this concept of we have to jump from body hatred to body love, but there's a vast territory in between of neutrality that you have to reach first. I think part of it is kind of trying to strip away the the morality of it. Like we have, you know, I just have this sense of like, we feel like if we've gained weight or if we're not a certain, if we're not meeting a certain beauty standard, it's like a moral failing. And we have to get to a point of, I have to, I had to get to a point and I have to reinforce this constantly of neutrality that it doesn't mean anything. If I gain weight, it's a, it's a neutral concept. It doesn't mean anything if I lose weight, I don't need to be applauded for it. So that's kind of step one. And I, as I'm feeling triggered, you know, I'll come back to that. Like, okay, dissecting this feeling and reminding myself that actually these are neutral concepts. There's no moral obligation. There's no societal obligation I have to look a certain way. And then just reinforcing it with the DIs, you know, I think most of the time now when I have the body and weight trigger, I don't necessarily go in for the deep deprogramming DIs. I go for the reinforcing DIs now and just taking it very gently, taking it gently with myself. It's, I mean, it's so complicated, you know, cause it's like, I had to really, I had to really reprogram my mind from the constant talk of self-abuse to just be gentle. And I think my partner has helped a lot with that. It's a complicated process that continues every day. I can definitely say that I'm mostly on the other side of it now. I will say something that I think is really cool that helped is doing boudoir photo shoots. So when I was yes. really in the thick of it. Yeah. When I was really in the thick of it and just like I'd gained so much weight, I think I took like two or three boudoir photo shoots and just like set up this like gorgeous set that I made myself and just really embraced the, this goddess energy at any size and looking back in Renaissance art and things like that. I had screensavers on my phone of like different Renaissance paintings of goddesses that were super curvy. And that was just the energy that I leaned into. And now my partner is a photographer. So whenever I feel the 
need to do a boudoir photo shoot, he's on hand to do that for me. (laughs) Amazing. I also really love that you said you have gone through the unblocking DIs and all of that, the really heavy unblocking piece around body image. And now you're at the point where it's just important to do reinforcing because I think sometimes people get so stuck and they're like, okay, let's go back to the childhood memory where I pick this up, where all the memories, if you've made serious strides on it and you feel a shift and a click, you don't necessarily have to go back to all those memories. You might just need to remind yourself in, you know, a hypnotic state or in the subconscious state oh yeah, I'm getting fed from media, society, et cetera, that I should look like that. Okay, whoops, nope, that's not correct. Let me reinforce what I do know to be true. Absolutely. And also I think a lot of people, they do, like let's say they did inner child around their weight and then they start having triggers like three months later and they're like, oh my God, fuck, I I thought I reprogrammed this and they kind of have a downward spiral. Oh my God, no, it's not like a light switch that turns off and on because we're constantly being reprogrammed with the opposite message. So just like, it's okay. You can be triggered again. Like you're never, you're probably never going to completely erase all of your triggers. Now they shouldn't feel as intense. They shouldn't send you on in such a dark path and you can just gently reinforce the message that you actually want to be embodying. Absolutely. Okay. Now let's talk about your expanders. So you've kind of had like a light bulb moment with your expanders and kind of your expansion style. Yes, this was so random, but I got maybe in like October, I got a random ping that my expansion style, quote unquote, this was the exact language, has to match my learning style. And I know that I am an audiovisual learner. This information helped me so much in college because I can learn a lot from audio and I can learn a lot from visual, from like reading and watching something, but I can't get to 100% knowledge integration without audio and visual. I need a combination. So prior to this, I had been very reliant on podcasts and I had been very reliant on Instagram. It was kind of disconnected, right? So I needed to bring audio and visual together in order to reach my optimal expansion. So I... I was like, okay, let me let me integrate YouTube. I was never someone who's really into YouTube. Let me integrate TikTok because those are audio and visual at the same time. And if I'm listening to a podcast that's really expansive, okay, I can add in the visual piece myself because I can find this person on Instagram at the same time and there's a connect there. So I started looking for expanders on YouTube and subscribing to their channels. I have a few that I can post in the Pathway group after this if anyone resonates with this. I just started following them, watching their content every day while I was eating lunch on YouTube. And I really personally feel, you know, I had, I I saw the benefit of expanders before I had expanders. This made it so clear to me how important expanders are. And this took my manifestations totally to the next level. It made so much sense to me because people have been talking about other manif- other ways to expand, I should say, that just I would try and it just didn't really like resonate. So for example, going out and finding your expanders in real life and like hanging out with them, I don't know, just didn't vibe. It didn't really work. And I think that's something that would work really well for someone who has a kinesthetic learning style and they need to be more hands-on or like vision boards. I didn't ever really enjoy making a vision board, but I think if you're more a more kinesthetic person, that would be something that would really work for you. Oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. I'm like, we need to get Dr. Tara on and understand the science behind this. Yes, I would love more. Because I think that's so, so spot on. 
And also I love how you continually elevate the process to your own needs and making it basically a masterclass for your specific needs, which I think is so important for people who have been doing this work for years who are like, okay, I'm manifesting this and that. It's like, okay, well, really double down. Like where are the spots where it's not moving as fast? Is it taking a really long time to get expanded, but you have a lot of expanders around? Maybe think about the style that you're, you know, expanding in. And if you're journaling, you never are able to refer back to your old journaling pages because you just like write so long and so messy. You can't even really read what you wrote. Maybe you'd benefit from making it a digital journal really look at the places where things feel sluggish in the process because this will super speed. Yeah. And something I can suggest that I don't do, but my friend Evelyn, who's in the pathway does, is she got the the thing for your iPad so that you can write on it and it feels like real paper. So when she does the journaling prompt, she uses that. And then you can, you can search that as long as you have legible handwriting. Wow. Oh my gosh. Technology is amazing. I love that. That's such a good tip. Okay. So let's dive into this relationship story. Yes. How did you manifest your partner? Where did you begin? You had mentioned that you started seriously manifesting in November. You met in April. Okay. What was that timeline? What came up? What did you unblock? What were your tests? Fill us in. Okay, so this is so cool because I can look back at it now and just be like, oh my God, everything lined up. I didn't know, but it did. So back in 2019, I came to Mexico City with my then partner and I fell in love with Mexico City. I knew that I had to be here. And due to financial reasons and the pandemic, I wasn't able to get here until 2021. After I got here in, let's say, September 2021, I had a call with a psychic and she said to me, listen, you are a twin flame. I hate that word, but it's the word she used. And your partner is in Mexico City. The only reason that you're in Mexico City is because that is your like assigned rendezvous point with your soulmate. So I kind of took that with a grain of salt because I'm not really someone who's into future prediction because I'm like, ew, like I make my own reality. Don't, don't try to tell me. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, eh, whatever. And in October, I ended up manifesting a free trip to Brazil, which had been something I'd been avoiding for a long time because I just, you know, I had a lot of baggage culturally. I didn't really want to go see my family there. There There's just like a lot of trauma, but I knew that I had to face it. My dad asked me to go to Brazil with him. I happened to have a flight voucher from a flight that had gotten canceled during the pandemic. And I had some airline points. So I booked a hotel for myself for two weeks. And while I was there, I just was like rapidly moving through trauma. I went down to the beach one day and laid like face down on the beach. And I just felt embraced by the being that is Brazil. I felt healed and welcomed back to my homeland. After that, I think immediately after I went back to my hotel, I was like, okay, I'm ready to do unblocked love. Like I feel something moved and I can do this now. This was late October. And I should mention that Rio de Janeiro, where my family is from, their patron goddess is Yemenja, who is the goddess of the ocean. She's a mermaid. She's the Brazilian version of the Yoruba Orisha Oshun. She was brought over by enslaved peoples and then kind of like integrated with some indigenous goddesses and kind of like reemerged as this new goddess. So that was a big part of my childhood promise that comes back in <laughs> later. Yes. I'm I'm like, wow, I need to learn more about this. I'm so interested. Yes. So she was a big part of my childhood. I was raised 
vaguely in the candomblé tradition, which is kind of like this, it's a cross between like indigenous spirituality and some of the ideas that were brought over by enslaved peoples from Africa. And I was raised kind of vaguely in it, you know, like we were, we were kind of, we weren't like heavy practitioners, but we celebrated the holidays. For example, we went to get healings and that kind of thing. And the big holiday in Rio is Yemen Jaws holiday, which is celebrated on, I believe, January 31st, as well as January 1st. So we always did that every year. And I was back in Brazil. My great grandfather had left France, moved to Brazil for spiritual reasons. He was a spiritualist. He was extremely, he's an extremely talented healer. He was an astral projector of like the highest class. He married an indigenous woman. So I was wanting to connect with that. I asked my aunt to take me to one of the spiritual centers that he helped develop. Somehow we got lost in translation. I don't know exactly why we didn't end up going there, but we went to this random priestess slash psychic who gave me a reading and it was the most offensive reading I've ever had in my life. I was so mad. And she was like, your ex-boyfriend is super wealthy now and he wants to get back together with you. And I was just like, ill. And she was like, you need to get back together with him because he's wealthy. And do you want to work the rest of your life? He'll take care of you. Like, blah, blah. It was just this very like old programming around money. And I said, hell no, I'm not getting back together with him. She wouldn't let it go. And then she's like, okay, fine. And I was like, well, I'm not getting back together with him. So show me like, is there someone else in the cards? No pun intended for me. And she said, yeah, around May, you can meet someone and like, you'll probably work with him, but like, whatever, like she wasn't excited about this guy. <laughs> so I misunderstood. And I thought it was a different ex that I hadn't spoken to in years. I went back to my hotel room. I texted him. We talked a little, cleared the air. It, there was nothing there. I wasn't, I wasn't interested in him. He wasn't interested in me, but it, it was actually did move the energy. Yeah. That's when I started on blocked love and it was, this was probably the beginning of November. It was crazy. It took me, I want to say about 10 days to go through unblocked love. I was having like such intense downloads during the DIs of like, okay, you need this specific expander. You're going to find this specific expander on this dating app. And it would be a dating app I didn't even have. I would download it, match with this person, get this specific expansion that I had understood in the DI that I needed. And then just like never talk to that person again. Whoa. Yeah, it was so crazy. And yeah, I came back to Mexico. I, I hadn't been on a date since March of 2019. So you could say it was a pretty intense magic dark. And then as soon as I got back to Mexico, I was just really serious about dating and meeting my person. So I just started going on dates again. I, it wasn't that I hadn't tried to go on dates in this like two and a half year period. It was just that every time I was supposed to meet someone, they would cancel or like something would come up. So it was a good sign that through doing Unblocked Love and some of the emotional work I think I'd released in Brazil that I, I finally had opened a path, at least for some dates to start coming through in November. What tips do you have for people who are like nervous about dating apps? Because that is a question we get a lot. And I know you've even shared on your Instagram some themes on that. But for someone who's like, oh, putting yourself out there or there's no good guys on this app or girls on this app or people on this app, what kind of advice do you have for those people and, and kind of being a little bit in surrender during the app game, so to speak? So I made Bumble when I got back to Mexico City. 
so like there's some baggage there for me because I'm a matchmaker and we kind of frown on dating apps a little bit. And also I had a lot of shadow because I had been, I was a matchmaker and I hadn't been on a date in two and a half years. So I was like, okay, I need to just go for the fastest solution because I'm literally like feeling like so much shadow around this. I, I think some of the issues that come up with dating apps are that dating apps are a mirror And it's really tempting to blame the dating app, but ultimately there's millions of people on dating apps and there's literally millions of people who met their partner on dating apps, including me. So what it's showing you is a reflection of something. It could be a reflection of shadow, it could be a reflection of your blocks. And I I think it's really helpful as you're swiping. This is a really good exercise. So as you're swiping, maybe have your journal or your computer open where you're typing or writing and whatever judgments are coming up as you're swiping on these men, write them down and do shadow work around them later. It might be like, oh my God, this guy is so overweight. Oh my God, this guy is such a loser. Oh my God, none of these guys are attractive. None of these women are serious. And that's that's your path to shadow healing. Ooh, that's such a good one. I love that. Did you notice what, as you do something like that, that who was presenting as your matches shift? Oh my God. Yes. And it was so funny because I was like, I had been living in Playa del Carmen before, which admittedly is a small city. And I, you know, I was, I was really using that as an excuse on dating apps. I was like, well, this is like such a small town. All these guys are just like digital nomads with man buns who have a girlfriend. And then I moved to Mexico city, which is literally the largest city in North America. There's 27 million people. So I couldn't make excuses anymore. I had to be very confronted by my shadow. So if I wasn't seeing good quality men, it was me. That was it. I think that's kind of like a hard pill to swallow for some people, especially. It's also, I guess, how do you balance that acceptance? Because that is where you take your power back, right? Like when you say like, if I'm not seeing what I'm wanting, this is a mirror and something about me is blocking it or pushing it away or whatever. Versus how do you not turn into, I'm not good enough, you know, and then really I guess like overcorrecting where you're like feeling like a victim of the situation or, or just feeling really low self-worth about that realization. One, I think it's just a really easy thing you can do is just do the, if you're feeling that just do the answers and clarity DI and you'll see, is this something I'm attracting or is this just, you know, statistic probability that like some guys I match with are going to be assholes. I mean, I would say 70, 30 rule. So 70%, it's probably your projection. 30%, there's just going to be assholes in the world. Like that's just how it is. No one is manifesting so hard. Like they're not going to interact with assholes at some point in their life. So just, you know, do a little DI to get in there, do a little bit of journaling. Even if it's not you, there's probably still a lesson there that you can glean. And at some point, you just have to develop a thick skin and let it roll off your back. You know, sometimes guys are going to say rude things to you. Does that mean all men are terrible? No. Does that mean there's something wrong with you? No. And the other thing with this process that if you're someone who, like me, has a history of being a perfectionist overachiever, you can look at this process with manifesting a partner and say, okay, there's something wrong with me. That means that I haven't been able to manifest a partner and I am going to do every single DI as many times as I need to, to figure out what the problem is with me. And then I'm going to fix that problem and I'm going to meet my partner. That's not what this process is at all. There's nothing wrong with you. This process isn't about finding something that's wrong with you. You're already perfect. You're already worthy. Yeah, of course, we all have room to grow and evolve as humans. We wouldn't be here if we didn't. 
but you don't have to find this one critical piece of you that's broken that needs to be fixed. This process is about understanding that you're already whole and you have some programming that's been inserted in you against your will by trauma, family, society, whatever, that's blocking you from seeing your own worth. And once you heal that programming, you can see how worthy you always were. And for me, when I manifested my partner, it was because a few weeks before I had said, you know what? I'm worthy. I don't need to do any more work on myself. I'm there. I'm ready. I stopped doing any DIs that were more around like digging. You know, I didn't really do like inner child or shadow work anymore. I just did reinforcing stuff. I just did like magnetic self, authentic self type DIs to like really step into the worth that I already felt was inherent in me. The way that you just described that, I'm like tearing up because that struck such a chord. That is so important for everyone to understand you're not broken. Stop thinking that what you're doing is fixing your broken parts. You're just healing the parts of you that you've picked up, the programming you've picked up, like you're already worthy. You already have everything within you. And I just, my heart goes out for anyone who who struggles to really understand that or feel that or embody that. But it is so, so true. And the way you said that was just chef's kiss. So, so good. (laughs) So I'm quickly interrupting this episode to invite you if you're ready to start your manifestation journey or if anything you've heard in our manifestation episodes has piqued your interest to begin. We have a la carte workshops in everything from the basics bundle, which is what we recommend to everyone who starts. It's the formula that actually teaches you how to manifest, unblocked inner child and unblocked shadow. We also have a la carte workshops on love and money. But the real gem is the Pathway membership because it encompasses every single workshop we have. It's a year-long membership with full access to the few a la carte offerings we have and exclusive workshops not available anywhere else, such as the daily practice, which is what everybody in the Pathway uses, hopefully at least three times a week to daily in order to truly create the new neural pathways that one needs in order to manifest and houses the library of our deep imaginings, which is our unique hypnosis process that allows you to get into your subconscious and overwrite those old neural pathways, creating the new ones. You can use our special code EXPANDED, all caps, E-X-P-A-N-D-E-D, to receive $20 off your first a la carte workshop purchase or $20 off your first month of the pathway. Again, that's all caps, EXPANDED, E-X-P-A-N-D-E-D. Okay, now back to the episode. So start talking a little bit about how some religious programming worked in. You had mentioned, you know, when we were talking before that you really work through all this inner child stuff around with your dad. You're having a great relationship with your dad. You work through a lot of inner child stuff around dynamics with your mom. You set healthy boundaries and can kind of cut her out healthily of your life. But there was still sort of something there that was kind of feeling like it was blocking. Talk a bit about that. This is so beautiful. So, yeah. So I think I need to like double back to set the stage for this a little bit. But 
So November through December, I'm going on dates, you know, maybe like one a week, fine. You know, like these guys are high quality men. They're just like not men I'm interested in going on a second date with. I had no negative experiences. No men were rude or anything like that. Nothing was coming through. I was getting a little frustrated. I had to go back to Orlando in January to renew my visa. I'm from Orlando. And I had a ping to be on Bumble while I was there. And I was just swiping through so many guys I had dated in the past. And I was like, this is not a coincidence. I was getting tons of matches and I I matched with this guy. And then I looked at his profile and I was like, oh, this guy's not really my type. I'm not going to answer. I only matched with him because he had super liked me. And then I saw that he had extended our match because I never messaged him. And I went back and looked at his profile and I was like, holy shit, this is my ex-boyfriend from when I was 19. When we dated when I was 19... He was, hmm, how can I say this? <laughs> A lot of toxic qualities. <laughs> right. He was abusing drugs. He was not exactly like in a career path that's considered legal. <laughs> and I literally didn't recognize him. He had changed his life so much. He completely changed his appearance. I was literally, my finger was on the button to unmatch. I was about to throw up because it was bringing up so much trauma. He was in his mid to late 20s when we dated and I was 19. It was my Lana Del Rey face. And I was like, no, my patterning in the past, which had served me well with doing this work, was anytime I connected with an ex, I blocked them. But that's a pretty easy thing for a Scorpio to do that wasn't getting to the root of the work that I needed. And I was like, the opposite of my programming right now is to connect with this person and talk with them and see why they resurfaced. And depending on where you are in your work, that can be a little bit dangerous. So I messaged him. And we decided to see each other the next day, which was New Year's Eve. And we went out. Um, I guess you could call it a date. He had As soon as I messaged him, he had said, I'm so sorry for everything that happened. Everything is different now. I'll never let you leave again in a non-scary way. (laughs) It was like sweeter. (laughs) I was like, okay, fine. I'll go on a date with this guy. And it was great. It was a really fun time. It was really good shadow work to be with someone who was so in love with me, having seen me at my literal worst self at 19. I realized that a lot of the resentment I'd been hanging on to was unnecessary because in hindsight, I had seen this as kind of a predatory relationship. And I was like, oh no, yeah, there was a huge age gap that wasn't appropriate, but I did love this person. This person loved me and still loves me. He proposed that I come back to Orlando, that I give up my life in Mexico. I was very tempted to say yes, because moving to a different country trying to make friends, trying to manifest love. It was really wearing me down. It was really lonely. I was extremely lonely, actually, and exhausted living in a different country. And I paused and I just felt, I kind of looked forward to our life. And I was like, I could be fine, but I'll always know deep down that I settled. And I cannot do that to myself. So I got up and left very ungracefully. And this triggered a huge rock bottom for me. I mean, I was really beating myself up. Like, why isn't good enough good enough for you? Why would you walk away from someone who loves you and is successful and incredibly wealthy and wants to take care of you? I I mean, it was a really dark place for about three weeks when I got back to Mexico that I had given up something that would be easy to do something that would be hard and lonely. And that is what triggered me to get into this looking at my religious programming because I was in such a rock bottom. And I was like, I can't keep doing inner child. I've done it 15 times. I don't know what the block is that I I just can't reach the bedrock. Like I've worked through my relationship with my parents. I've worked through like body image stuff, but what am I not getting at? 
just one day randomly, I had a pang to look up this YouTuber that I followed who's kind of in the spiritual space. And I saw that she was on this random podcast that I'd never heard of. And I listened to it and I fell in love with the sound of this man's voice who is the host of the podcast. And the podcast is all about heresy and Gnosticism. And I grew up Catholic in a very unhealthy Catholic way. Uh, I went to Catholic school my whole life. It was extremely unhealthy. Body image stuff, you know, sexuality stuff, women's issues. And listening to this podcast brought me face to face with that again. And of course, the host of the podcast also grew up Catholic, is also Portuguese, is also descendant from the crypto Jews like I am. So he's actually my mentor now. We work together. That brought me face to face with that. And I I also connected with another person who'd been on the podcast, Dr. Marguerite Rigobliosa, who also grew up Catholic, huge expander for me, and did all of this crazy research about the Virgin Mary and like bringing the Virgin Mary out of this patriarchal setting that she'd been forced into and bringing her into her full status as a goddess um, and working with her to heal trauma in our wombs. And that that kind of started it, like those those two expanders and connecting with them one on one. And then I something that Marguerite says is the core self-worth wound of women. And I think this is what it was for me, why I couldn't reach the, the core of why I had low self-worth no matter what I did, is that we are raised in a patriarchal religion where we do not have a God that reflects us, reflects our energy, looks like us. And we're told, if you grew up in an Abrahamic religion, that women are the root of all sin on the planet. I had this idea to do inner child from that lens of one, you know, doing the inner child DIs to go back and and work on specific religious trauma that I had as a child. Two, to create magnetic divine parents, because no matter what I had done, I kind of kept still attracting narcissist men. And I realized through working with Miguel Connor and Marguerite Bigoglio, so that I had been indoctrinated with this idea of God as a narcissist, that he's like this old man in the sky watching me, just waiting for me to mess up so he can punish me. I didn't believe he loved me. I didn't believe he wanted what was best for me. I believed I was a sinner. I didn't believe this consciously. This is like deep coming out in DIs and journaling. And I wasn't manifesting everything I could because I didn't believe the universe wanted me to have it. So I rewrote all of the Bible stories that had caused me trauma as a child. I rewrote them in a positive light. I took them through DIs to teach them to my inner child. I did the entire inner child workshop again with my divine masculine, like father figure and divine feminine mother figure. And that really got to some big core wounding. I mean, that is so, so powerful. Even just really understanding the context. I'm sure all of our listeners are from various religions, different upbringing, beliefs, et cetera. But I know at least for me, I was brought up Lutheran and that same belief of, okay, God is a male in the sky judging me if I'm bad, you know, bad things will happen, this fear. And even though I kind of wasn't super indoctrinated into the religion, and it was more, I guess, like a surface level connection with it growing up, that messaging still sits with you. You still think about it. That imaging still sits with you. And understanding that like your spiritual connection to anything else out there is kind of like your individual superpower. It's a connection that you have with something beyond us. It's the thing that gives you that trust and the surrender because you know that something more than just you is looking out for you. And if that image of that spiritual connection 
is a distorted one, you know, a one of a power dynamic, it can be really, really tough. I think it's so beautiful that you went in and created new figures. You created new sort of almost God figures and, and figuring out how to navigate in a way that felt wholesome and loving and accepting. And that's just so, so powerful. Yeah, it changed everything because I suddenly, this deep self-worth wound was, you know, mostly taken care of. I I still have work to do on it because we're, again, like it's negative reinforcing through society. But I felt like I reached the bottom of this inner child work that I just could not get to the bottom of. And it somehow created more peace and gentleness within myself because I no longer felt this punishment from the divine. And I realized that a lot of my inner child work had been me putting a gun to my inner child's head and being like, you better fucking heal. And I needed to go in next, you know, the the next time that I do inner child and be so much more gentle because I thought of it kind of this way. Like if you have someone in your life that you really want to be friends with, you know, you think they're the coolest and they reach out and want to hang out with you, but they only talk about themselves and they only talk about their trauma and their problems. The first few times you're going to like be helpful. And then after that, you're just going to get sick of it and be like, I don't want this person in my life anymore. That's kind of what we do to our inner child when we start the inner child work, because we're only connecting with them because we're trying to force them to heal. Or at least I was. And I realized that my inner child wasn't something that needed to be healed. It was a part of me that was desperately needing my attention and that needed to create a relationship with me. So I went back and I just focused on spending time with my inner child and getting to know them. And, you know, if you're a therapist and you want to get a child to open up to you, you don't sit them down and say like, okay, what's wrong with you? You play with them, you spend time with them, you build trust. And then from there, you they will naturally let you in. And I think shifting that was also huge for being able to get much deeper with my inner child work. That's why I really love the the languaging on the new DIs that we put out as well, which is like, you know, bring your inner child forward and allow it to say anything it needs to say yeah. about this and tell you what it feels. Because I think, and maybe it just needs to complain. Maybe your healing is just creating space for your inner child to complain and tell you how unfair this thing was or how they don't understand something or just like getting on their level and giving them attunement in your mind's eye in that hypnotic state that in itself is the healing. You know, it doesn't have to be like, okay, let's recreate the memory and make something else happen. It's like, let's validate the experience first. You know, I'm an adult and this is how I see what happened, but what did my inner child see? Like, what did they think? What did they feel? And getting in touch with that is so vital. Mm -hmm. Just liberating actually. And then, I mean, I'm even thinking about internal family systems and parts therapy, but all of that work really goes to like the wounded inner child is the last aspect that's going to come forward in the healing journey. You know, you're going to have your protectors come forward, your defense mechanisms, all the walls you put up around yourself to protect that inner child. So it's almost like you have to, in those DIs, start talking to those parts first. And then once those parts are like, yeah, I, I was created to 
be really stubborn because I learned if I didn't be really stubborn, I never got my needs met. And, you know, so I feel like I have to bulldoze my needs on other people. Otherwise, they're not going to be met. And so that's why this part was created or whatever. Okay, listen to that part for a while and then see, oh, yeah, there's an inner child underneath that. That's really sad that they didn't get their needs met. And then you can get to that next level. I love that. I totally agree. You can be patient with this process. I know sometimes we go into the manifestation works for like, shit, I need $20,000 by like next month. And then we want to like <laughs> fast forward through the healing to get the manifestation. But these are very gentle, fragile parts of you. They just need time to open up to you and to receive that healing from you. And sometimes the healing is just acknowledgement. Yes. It's funny. I was I was looking at some supported questions that have come through for the last month and Some of them were like, I need to manifest a job, a new income source, a partner, a new home, a new city, all within the next like five months. It's not that you can't do that, but you have to take the pressure off yourself to fix everything in your life in the shortest amount of time possible because the life that you're at today wasn't created in the shortest amount of time possible. It's years in the making. So it's knowing that, okay, this is going to take time and you can still be manifesting awesome stuff in route two. Think about your first episode of like all the amazing, incredible things, kismet things you were manifesting like crazy, continuing to do that work. And then it goes to another level, another level. Yeah. It reminds me of this quote from my favorite book, Dune, which is the mystery of life isn't a problem to be solved. It's a reality to be experienced. And I think that goes for you as well. You're not a problem to be solved. You are just a mystery to be experienced. And you don't need to think of yourself as like on some kind of like linear timeline of I'm going to get X, Y, Z. You are blessed to be in this body. And your only job is to explore the mystery of yourself and see what magic comes from that. Oh, love that. And love Dune. So, so good. I know, right? Such a mystical book. That was my biggest relationship expander when I was manifesting my partner. Wow. Okay. Talk more about that. And how did your partner ultimately wind up coming through after this big religious reprogramming, saying no to this ex? So let's get to that partner in part two, because everyone's probably on the the ends of their seats being like, wait, why did you come through? (laughs) (laughs) Me as a Scorpio, I wasn't craving just like a normal relationship. And that's totally fine for anyone who is. I saw the other day on TikTok, like a video of a couple that's been together for 10 years and has never lived together. If that's the relationship you're looking for, wonderful. I was looking for something like earth changing. I wanted it to be like fucking cosmic and magical and miraculous. I wanted it to radically change my life. And that's what I saw reflected in Dune. That's kind of just what I was going for. So as I'm wrapping up this re- really intense religious programming, I got a ping. You know, I'm, I'm working with Mother Mary as a goddess, not as this like woman enshrined in Catholicism. And I had my list and I started to feel constrained by my list. I had had the same list for about three years. I was just sick of like being in charge of my own love life. You know, I'm a full time matchmaker. So I'm in charge of a lot of other people's love lives and I didn't want to be in charge of my own anymore. So I said to Mother Mary, you know what? I don't need this list anymore. I surrender. I just want this cosmic love that I've been craving. And I really don't care about any of the other details. I don't care about height. I don't care about job, you know, whatever. And I asked Mother Mary to be my matchmaker. I got the ping maybe a few days later to go to a sweat lodge ceremony on Good Friday. And I went to the sweat lodge ceremony. Holy 
shit. It was nuts. I have done sweat lodges before. This was next level. The shaman started saying all of these things that had been things that I had written in my journal or had been things that I was working on. So I was working specifically on healing my womb and connecting my womb to the womb of the mother of all creation. This is, he was like, the womb of the mother has called you here to be cleansed in her womb space. And I was like, what? And then I just lost it during this Themyscira. Like I was crying. I couldn't stop coughing. I thought I was going to vomit at one point. I was fully hallucinating. I saw my ancestors come to me and I just told them, thank you, but I'm not carrying your trauma anymore. I'm not responsible for your healing. And I gave it all back to them. I had a really intense healing experience with my father. And then as I'm crying and coughing, the shaman came and sat next to me and he said, woman, thank you for being born and incarnating on this planet the thing that your heart is craving will be yours in a month. And I just knew, I know. And I just knew that he met my partner and he was like, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I mean? And I'm like crying hysterically. I'm like, yeah, I do. And I was the only person he gave a specific message to. I mean, this man was reading my heart. Like really, that was, I don't know, I guess early April. I keep dating, you know, I'm, I'm continuing to do the work. I have some experiences come up, you know, for example, I kind of got to the bottom of this grief that I felt of like, maybe I'm never going to meet my person and that's okay. And I accepted that grief and let it move through me. And then I also had the certainty that I was, it was like a really weird paradoxical experience that was very healing. And then, you know, I'm swiping frustrated, not seeing anything that I want. And then I kind of got this ping that it was time to lower my age range. And I was like, cause I was only dating guys that were much older than me because in my mind I had connected the idea of like older is more mature. And I was going on these dates with guys that were like, you know, thirties and forties and I just wasn't feeling it. I was bored. I got this ping and I was like, you know what? I I felt it came directly from mother Mary. And I was like, okay, fine. You know what? Maybe mother Mary just wants me to have like a hot 25 year old Latino lover. And that's just fine with me. So I lowered my age range to 25 and right away I saw this like really hot guy had super liked me. And I almost didn't swipe right. I hesitated. And I was like, what is this hot 25-year-old model going to want with me? And all of like my like body image issues started coming up again. Like, oh my God, like this guy's so hot. He's not going to be attracted to me, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was like, well, fuck it, whatever. So I just swiped right, matched right away, started talking, really good conversation. We were talking about history and he was like, well, let's go to the castle this weekend. I want to show you around and happened to be the castle that Romeo and Juliet was filmed on, but that's another story. But I was kind of like meh because I didn't want to wait till the weekend to see this guy who's the only guy I was interested in talking to. So he was like, okay, well, I'm free tonight. Do you want to meet up? And as an aside, I was being low-key evicted from my apartment at the time because there was a carbon monoxide leak. And I was moved to an apartment all the way across town in Coyoacan. And I had just, which is a neighborhood way, way south of downtown where I was living in Mexico City. I was still in downtown at the time. And when I went to that apartment, I felt a voice say to me, you're being moved here because your future partner lives in this neighborhood. So yeah, so I was, you know, we're texting, trying to plan. And I was like, oh, I'm in Condesa right now. I'm, you know, I'm moving soon, but I live in Condesa. And he was like, oh, I live in Coyoacan. I was like, oh my God, what? And then I was like, okay, well, let's, I had a building I was living in at the time had a speakeasy in it in the basement. So I suggested we meet there because I'm all about making the man come to you. And I wasn't really willing to go further than my own building. So he drove all the way from Goyokan to Condesa, which is like 45 minutes. And we met 
And as soon as I saw him, I felt like he was disappointed. Like I felt like I wasn't attractive enough or something like that. Quick aside, shout out to Alexa Smart. I was on Unblocked Remedy at the time. And I also had posted this picture on my Instagram of this dress I had just bought. And Alexis had commented, oh my God, that makes such a good first date outfit. And that was the exact outfit I was wearing. So we got drinks. It was fine. The bar was super loud. And I was like, you know what? Do you want to just like go up to my roof? It's too loud here. So we went up to my roof, totally hit it off now that we could hear each other, like could not stop laughing. So a few days before that, I had had a dream of the goddess Oshun, who is like a Yoruba Orisha. And she was lying in bed with me in this dream. And I said, oh my God, you're Oshun. And she just laughed and she touched my forehead. And I felt an electricity move through my body. And I woke up and just felt that something had changed. And then a few days later connected on Bumble with the guy that would be my partner. The next day after we met, I went to my hypnotherapist and she started telling me the story about Yemenja, the Brazilian goddess of the sea aforementioned. And I was like, that's weird. And then my would-be partner asked me out on our second date that Sunday And we were driving around looking for parking to go get tacos. And we parked in front of this random restaurant just because there was parking there. And the the name of the restaurant was Yemenja. And I was like, oh my God, this might be a sign. On that date, we just talked, you know, a lot about what we were looking for in life from a relationship. Later that evening, we drank cacao together. We had a little cacao ceremony together. I had kind of been panicking before because I saw that he had unmatched me on Bumble. And he was like by the way, I deleted my Bumble because I don't want to see anyone else, but you, you know, you don't have to stop seeing other people if you don't want to. And I was like, no, I definitely don't want to see other people. And then I think our fourth date, I invited him to a magnetic meetup we were having in Mexico city. He came and he was like super cool and interested in TVM and stuff. And then that night he asked me to be his girlfriend and then yeah, the rest is history. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. I just want to point out a couple things too that happen in these beginning phases where your fear came up of, oh my gosh, he's too hot. Like I can't match with him or, oh, I think he might've been disappointed or, oh, you know, my fear that he unmatched me on Bumble. Like, why did he do that? I think especially in those early dating phases, our insecurities, our old programming can come up like wildfire and it can feel like that's the reality. And what you did time and time again is say, okay, that might be the case, but I'm going to walk through anyways. Even if that was true, okay, I, I, I know that I'll figure out the real truth going through and moving through it. And every time you step through that fear instead of hiding or shrinking or playing small or holding yourself back or not swiping, that opened up so much magnetism. So that if it's this authentic connection that you've been looking for, it became clear very quickly, whether it was through signs or his actions or his words or whatever it was, you stepping through that fear and saying, okay, even if that's the case, like I'm, I'm down to to see this out and see what happens. And that's having that ultimate trust with yourself and the trust with the universe that, okay, I know it's this or better. And also having the tools like, okay, if this guy makes me feel like shit, I can go back and do a DI. I can journal through this. I know how to handle whatever is going to be thrown at me now. A hundred percent. So what would be, I guess, your tip for anyone who's in that early dating phase, I mean, you guys have, how long have you been dating now? I guess six months. 
I mean, like as soon as we got together, we started having past life flashbacks and they were like, not cute. You know, it wasn't like, oh, look, we were like together and you were a knight. I was a princess. It was like really like gross, like fucked up shit. So yeah, it definitely brought up a lot of trauma. I think for both of us initially, that was pretty hard to navigate. Luckily, you know, we just did, we did the TBM work together and we both have our own resources for self-care and we, we knew pretty soon in our relationship that this was it. So we set the groundwork with that and we said, okay, like we're going to be triggered in this relationship. We actually have a lot of similar trauma. So in the beginning, we were kind of worried that this was a trauma bond. We were just like, okay, this is it. We have a lot of trauma. We have a lot of triggers. This is going to trigger it. It's normal. Doesn't mean there's something wrong with our relationship. Here's the framework of how we're going to deal with that. And these are kind of the ground rules and the big ground rules where breaking up is not on the table and we will never raise our voice to each other. Because we both have a lot of inner child trauma. We're like, our, our inner children don't deserve to be yelled at. And I now have um, pictures of him as a child because I'm actually living in his childhood home right now. Whenever I feel angry, whenever I feel triggered, I'm like, this is the person that I would be yelling at. As far as the early stages of dealing with the initial triggers, especially if you're someone who's more anxiously attached when your needs are valid, like if you are dating someone and they aren't giving you, like maybe they're not talking to you every day or something like that, or you're not seeing each other enough, your needs are valid. You don't have to like go back to like your inner child trauma and use that to gaslight yourself into not having needs. You're allowed to say, Hey, this is what my needs are. This is what I need. This is what I'm not getting. And based on how the person responds is going to be an indication to you of whether this is a relationship you want to move forward with as far as just the body image triggers, which I definitely experienced a really good remedy for that is to be upfront. So get a professional photo shoot for your dating app and just fully channel your authentic self in that and make sure that you're including, you know, like full body shots, pictures of you with no makeup, pictures of you wearing like the outfit that you think is the coolest. And then on your first date, wear the outfit you think is super cool. I was wearing one that I thought was like, not all guys would be into because it was like super vintage And when I saw him and thought he looked disappointed, he was actually just like really intimidated because he thought my outfit was so hot. So I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the remedy is shadow work. Just like put yourself, put your authentic self up front, put your shadows up front and don't worry about it. If they don't like it, if they're weird about it, it's not your person. Such, such good advice. And I think too, even to the tune of the trauma bond, the real key there is understanding if both people are aware of it and are willing to do the work. And if that relationship can be not a toxic one, you know, where there's yelling, abuse, et cetera. If that's coming up, of course, that's not going to be the right you know, relationship for you. But if you have patterns that tend to layer on one another, I think all relationships have challenges and growth periods and your partner is going to be your biggest mirror. They're the biggest indicator of how to heal and grow and soothe and comfort and just become a more authentic version of self. So it's not going to feel great all the time. It's just understanding how can we do that respectfully while also giving each other, you know, what each other needs and then giving ourselves individually what we individually need and, and healing those wounds. Absolutely. And, you know, if you go in with that mindset and that bravery of like, this is it, I'm committed, let's fucking get in the shit if we have to, to elevate this to the highest level relationship that it can be, 
it's fucking worth it. And it's going to be your biggest grounds of transformation in this lifetime. So exciting. Okay. What's one closing thought, I guess you would have after kind of going through this entire process and not just manifesting a partner, but manifesting this really intimate and beautiful relationship with yourself? You know, I think on the partner level, my advice is don't worry. Don't worry about it. Don't rush it. Don't try to force it. Don't settle just because you're lonely. A lot of people, and I, I was the same way. I actually had a, I had a astrology reading about this during this process. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm cursed. I think I'm never going to meet someone. And I think that's just something I have to be okay with in this life. But at the same time, I had this deep desire for this like super intense cosmic relationship. And if you have that desire, it's because that's in your life path. And that desire is the universe leading you to your highest life path. The universe isn't implanting you with desires that can't be fulfilled. So if you desire a partner, whatever kind of partner you're desiring, it's available to you. And that's the only reason that you're desiring it. Such, such good advice. Oh, thank you so much, Isabel. This has been expansive as always. And just so excited for both of you. So cool to see that you guys are doing the TBM work together. I know that in and of itself is going to be so expansive for everyone. And can't wait to have both of you guys on again in the future once you're manifesting more. Oh my God. Yeah. I can just see it happening already. We already manifested our first Airbnb property and we bought our second one yesterday. So, wow. Oh yes. my gosh. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you so much. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, we did. And in case you're not totally ready to join the pathway yet, I wanted to share a few of our free offerings that I'll often suggest to people as a little bit of a blueprint to get them started on their manifestation journey. The first place I like to direct people completely for free is the motivation. You can see it linked below or on our homepage as our testimony library. And it's categorized by different subjects, whether you're calling in career, money, love, wellness, and much more. When you're reading about a member's experience of what they manifested, you're actually seeing to believe and showing your subconscious that that very thing is possible for you. The second place I like to direct people is to the free clarity exercise, which is also linked below. In it, you get to try our own unique hypnosis process, learn about the science and some journaling prompts. And the best part about this, you'll get a tiny taste of what it's like to go into your hypnotic state, bring your subconscious forward and create new neural pathways while receiving clarity. And the third thing, if you haven't listened to it on this podcast yet, please go back to the episode titled Manifestation 101, where you'll learn the basics of neural manifestation to truly understand this process. So go ahead and check out those free resources, the motivation, the free clarity exercise, and the episode Manifestation 101, all linked below. And in an effort to make sure to have representation in this process series, go ahead and submit any process testimonials you have, especially to our LGBTQ plus community, our BIPOC, as well as the WISE, which is anyone in the community who is 45 and over. All right, we'll be back next week. <laughs>